Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I am the host of the Sendcast. The Sendcast started a few years ago as a way to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff to read, but we're all really, really busy and we don't have time to sit down and read. Everyone working in schools needs training and support around SEND, but the funding isn't there to achieve this. We created the Sendcast to try and help solve that problem, to make schools more inclusive, to help teachers be teachers of SEND and help support staff be more aware. The Sendcast is also a really good way to get the same consistent message to schools and parents. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a different guest on to talk about something they are passionate about. This week, we're talking about using therapeutic story writing groups to support pupils' emotional well-being with my guest, Dr. Trisha Waters. Trisha is an educational therapist and the director of the Centre for Therapeutic Story Writing. The Sendcast is produced by us here at B-Squared. Over the last 25 years, B-Squared have supported schools to support students with SEND. Over the last few years, we have diversified. For years, we focused on an assessment, and this will always be our main focus, but we have seen a lack of high-quality, easy-to-access training and CPD for schools around SEND. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started two years ago with the Virtual Send Conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. You can find out more about our conferences and training courses by going to the Training for Education website, www.trainingforeducation.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be sharing an exclusive Sendcast discount code, so keep listening. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing therapeutic story writing groups and how it can support pupils' emotional well-being. My guest is Dr. Trisha Waters. Trisha is an educational therapist. Trisha began her career supporting pupils with emotional behavioural difficulties, and after that, she led the MA in SCN and Inclusion at the University of Chichester. And she is now the director of the Centre for Therapeutic Story Writing. Welcome to the show, Trisha. Thanks, Dale. Thanks for inviting me along. That's okay. Glad to have you here. So let's start with a nice simple question. What is therapeutic story writing groups? Okay, thanks. So therapeutic story writing is a term that I've sort of developed, started using about 15, 20 years ago. And it describes, I think, very well the work that we do at the Centre for Therapeutic Story Writing. But its roots really go back, for me, to my first teaching post when I was a young teacher I worked in a residential special school. In fact, it was called a therapeutic democratic residential school for some of the most disturbed boys in the country, all um, sent out mostly from inner cities. And we were in a castellated mansion on the banks of the River Avon, so quite a wonderful setting. Our brief was we had no rewards and sanctions, but to work therapeutically with these boys. And my first teaching post, I had 13 on my own in a classroom above the stable block, no TA, and actually not really a curriculum. And it was sort of sink or swim, initiation by fire. And what I found, these boys who were between 6, 12 years of age in my class, mostly they didn't want to put pen to paper. But by creating a calm environment and giving them a way into story that related to the feelings they were experiencing, I found they would write stories 
engage with the writing, pen to paper, not only that, but it was as if they were writing their own case histories in metaphor. We're talking about six, seven, eight, nine-year-old boys. And I found this fascinating. And I learned so much from working with those children. And um, it stayed with me. I worked in other schools. I was in a London um, senior manager, worked a lot with special needs children. And myself, I then trained as a therapist and counsellor, dipped into working in that world. But I decided my commitment was to these children in school who I could see were, I suppose, emotionally preoccupied and to such an extent that they couldn't really focus on the educational task in the classroom. I like that term, emotionally preoccupied. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I've worked in all sorts of managerial roles and so often I've I've heard teachers say to me, oh, we can't address their learning until we've addressed their behaviour. And I think one of my principles is, yes, we can address both because if we fail to address the learning of these children, many of whom we could put into a vulnerable category, if you like, we are failing them again because actually having academic skills promotes emotional literacy in itself. So the Centre for Therapeutic Story Writing Groups evolved out of that thinking and I was lucky enough to get funding from the Department for Education when I was doing my master's and then further funding to trial my model with teachers in a number of local authorities and when I was at the university to continue research into this group model, tweak it, hone it. You know, it wasn't just me developing, working with the children but I was training other teachers to do the work the therapeutic story writing groups and then now mainly I train educational psychologists who train the teachers who work with the children. I mean that doesn't quite say what we do in the sessions but (laughs) says how it develops. Is it aimed at children who aren't writing, might be badly behaved or they're emotionally preoccupied? I'm going to use that term. Um, They're not really there and teach them going they're not going to write, they can't write. Well It's not just the children who can't write. You can have a very mixed group. And we work with maximum of six children in the group at sessions last an hour. You can have children who are actually quite good writers. It's around children whose emotional preoccupation is getting in the way of their learning. I mean, sometimes that's acting out behaviour, but it's very easy to overlook those children who've got acting in behaviour who are withdrawn who are not engaging with learning in that manner and also it may be children who are quite up with their peers in terms of their learning but they've had a bereavement they've had a loss they've had some change in their life and so the therapeutic story writing groups are aimed at a wide range of pupils with the idea to develop their emotional well-being and while doing that to help them improve their literacy skills. So they write their stories. They don't tell their stories. They write them themselves. They're not scribed. They actually write their stories. In a sense, you can say the principles are very similar to art therapy, drama therapy, in that we're encouraging the children to use story metaphor to 
process difficult feelings. So the stories are written in the um, animal world or fantasy and mythic characters, not in the everyday. So it's kept at an arm's length in terms of metaphor. So they could be writing about a lion cub and something that happens to that lion cub and that's what they go through. You're saying that's yeah. kind of a bit like they're reflecting on their life and they're telling you it through that lion cub. Exactly, exactly. And um, all of the comments that we make will be about the lion cub. Not so about them. That's not always about, about them. that lion Absolutely cub. Absolutely not about them. Shall I illustrate with a, a story I've brought with me? Yeah, so just before we get there, I'll get... To me, I think story writing is a very lonely thing. You write a story, you always see a writer on there. Mm. So why is it group? Let's start with that bit. It's a group because it's about developing a skill which can be transferable back to the classroom. So the writing, of course, but also sharing their writing, listening to other children's stories, commenting on other children's stories. And that is a very interesting process in itself, taking turns as well. So it, it's maybe there's group stuff at the beginning and there's the writing, which is kind of they're writing what they want. But then later on, it's as you said, it's that sharing and improving and commenting on the other stories as part of that. Yes, sharing their stories and they also have time to illustrate their stories, which can also deepen the metaphor. And when the children come into the room, we start with a mindfulness tuning to bring the children into the moment. So the writing is only about 10 minutes within the hour. A lot of it is about providing for these children a place of security, a place of emotional containment. We have some exercises developing the emotional vocabulary. It's about helping them through developing that vocabulary to reflect on their feelings instead of reacting to their feelings. So... Um, so I get you. So yes, it's not just we're just writing stories, and this is how we write stories. It's story writing is a small part of it, but it, that gives you a lot of information back. It's all the other stuff which will hopefully get them less preoccupied emotionally, bring them into that room, yeah. and they can share through the story yeah. maybe their history or how they feel and things like that, and then they get to listen to others and how they feel. Exactly, the facilitator, teacher, maybe a TA who's running the group, also writes a story. And there's a story opener that is shared and there's a discussion of the feeling in the story opener. So it might be, do you know, the dragon lay outside his cave, he was feeling angry. Why do we think he's feeling angry? And the children will naturally project onto the character. And the teacher, the teaching assistant, whoever's running the group, makes a note and says, there's some really great ideas. I might use one of them in my story. So when the children are writing in silence for 10 minutes, the teacher is also writing her story, including some of the ideas of the children. And so she's also modelling how we focus on the actual activity of writing. Yeah. Okay. So you said you've got like a case study? Well, I thought I could, I've got one here from my book. I like to use these case studies because I've had permission from the parent and child to share and the names are changed. So this was a year six girl who I hadn't worked with before. She was, I was told initially that she had speech and language difficulties, but in actual fact, I found out a bit later that she was really a selective mute. She hadn't spoken to the teacher that year or the previous year she could talk she spoke quietly to a friend in the playground and 
And when she first came into the group, I just asked her to get her writing equipment. And she looked a little bit distressed. And then I said, oh, perhaps you're not feeling well. And she sort of nodded. And I took her to the to the secretary, took her to the medical room. And then went back to the group and then 10 minutes later the secretary came and said she's having the most almighty tantrum kicking the wall and screaming and then I found out a little bit more in class if the teacher asked her particularly to write she would have one of these tantrums such that the teacher had to take the whole class out she could read she read a book under the table but she wouldn't join the the line to go into assembly she was very non-compliant and um, as I said she hadn't spoken to the teacher that year or the previous year, she would nod. Okay. Or, so this is a story she wrote. So the next week, again, she didn't write anything, but she didn't disturb us. And then the next week, we were we were thinking about fairy tales and our favourite fairy tale and writing our version. She wrote this story, which she called We've Been Eaten. Hello, I'm Gingerbread One. We were just asleep on the table after eating dinner. We could not go to bed. We were too tired even to walk upstairs. Suddenly a girl jumped in through our window, which made me wake up, but I lay still, just in case. She fell asleep in Baby Bread's bed, woke up and tried out my bed and Gingerbread Two's bed. Then she sat on Baby Bread's chair and broke it. After that, she rejected my chair and Gingerbread Two's chair. Then she started nibbling Baby Bread's toes and up and up and up. So now Baby Bread was eaten. Then she ate Gingerbread Two. And now she is eating me. She is eating my little toes and now is up to my knees. Being eaten, as you know, is very painful. You just wish they would hurry up and eat you all up. I'm afraid I cannot speak anymore because I'm very nearly eaten. Wow. Yeah, it was really powerful. And I had a a teaching assistant who worked in her class and she just said, has she written that? Because she wouldn't write in class. Because there's a lot in there. There's a lot of depth. Yeah. Which, if someone who won't write, you think oh, they wouldn't have the skills. No, well, she could, as I said, she was literate. She was reading like Judy Bloom and fine sort of books under the table. She was quite literate, but she had been to see a, a child psychotherapist at CAMS, but because she wouldn't speak, she went two or three times apparently. He said there was no point in her coming, so she was back in school. So the therapeutic story writing groups is something that can be accessible to these children without the whole. Of course, CAMS does great work, although they have long waiting lists. So just thinking about this story, it's obviously feels like a powerful story. But the main thing I'd like to say that all our comments are made just about the gingerbread. No comment to Anya about, you know, her behaviour or her life or whatever. Because that hadn't worked when she'd been to CAMS. She just wouldn't speak. But I could say, you know, how painful for that gingerbread to be eaten up no wonder that gingerbread couldn't speak and interestingly after this week she wrote every week in the group and in fact she started writing in class as well and so a lot of we we do a three-day training a lot of the training is about how we receive the children's stories so what we do is we take what I call bringing some psychological mindedness into the education process, learning from skills that have been developed more in the counselling psychological schools. So bringing active listening in, using active listening techniques to respond to the character, thinking about which is the significant subpersonality character. So keeping that emotional safety, keeping it 
as an educational task. We're not therapists or counsellors. We're not going there at all. So you're not even discussing what do you feel is eating you? Because that's obviously might be the reason why no, you're quite, you're, not, you're not asking that, yeah, you're not even getting not, near we're that. Going nowhere near that because we are educational professionals. We're not in that. Of course, we think about what how the child might need um, to be supported in future. And this can be a fantastic diagnostic tool working with children. And we, we sort of do the groups over 10 weeks and we observe what they might need next. So sometimes... I might uh, refer a child on to a counsellor or it may be that some work needs to be done with parenting perhaps or what's going on at home. And we look for the themes that are coming out in the stories. So maybe there's a lot of anger or, you know, may find there's bullying coming out in the stories and, you know, you may need to go and then talk to the relevant person and make sure that what is actually going on in actual fact. But in terms of working with the children all of our comments go towards the story characters. In a sense, it's just a story. And what is the key principle, if this is all right, if I yeah, just Yeah, 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 no, no, I'm really fascinated. The key principle is that we think about the parallel development between cognitive and emotional development for the child. At the stage that we're working with these groups and the age range is six, really, to 12 pre-adolescent in this age range, if we sort of cast our minds back to that wonderful Piaget who looked at cognitive development, the child is in what he called the concrete operational stage of development. I call that what you see is what you get. <laughs> so, so if you're telling a group of children the story of Hansel and Gretel, they're sort of all eyes are on you wondering, you know, are the breadcrumbs going to get eaten by the birds, you know. They're not generalising to that abstract level, to the metacognitive level. They're not thinking, oh, this is a story about parental abandonment of the child. That is an adult facility. So reading metaphor is an adult facility. And children are just there. It's almost as if story metaphor is their language. But as adults, we can receive that metaphor on a, another level as well and that can help us hold the child in mind in a way that hopefully will allow us to support that child further. Yes yeah, so if those children they're, they're writing that story they may be using something from their past to help the development of the story but they're not writing about them they're writing about someone else so they're using it but not telling you anything about themselves and the whole conversation is not about them. So it's a bit like we, we, we've done some podcasts with Alison Knowles who looks at emotions and he, she mm. sits there and says, I'm not going to ask you why you're angry. Mm. I'm going to take the anger out and go to the anger. What's mm. got you so angry? It's like you're almost turning the back on that person and looking at the anger and the person may talk. So you're not talking about them. It's not them who's angry. Exactly. It's, it's the same sort of thing. It's that bit of a detachment. We're, we're talking about the gingerbread. And also in the training, it's really stressed, particularly at the beginning, you know, that she could have a vivid imagination. She could have watched a video with that story about the gingerbread, you know, you know, read a book, just made it up. So it's not like this is the truth. It's when you see five stories about being eaten. Well, perhaps five <laughs> stories, but also you see the child's presenting issues. You know, you see that she wasn't speaking and then you read that story. There's a... Also, the body language. Children 
Uh, I've worked with with children who are quite reluctant writers, and then there's a story they start writing, and they're, you know, scribbling as fast as they can to get it down on on the paper. And the way they read the story, there's a, again, looking at the the pictures they do to go with the story can be powerful, quite powerful. So when we do the training, the 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 second two days are very much supervision of. People bring the, the days are spaced out and they bring their case studies and we discuss the children and their stories and how we should be responding to the stories. So they come to these therapies, they spend a number of sessions. It's like we don't call it therapy, oh, so no, story writing, story groups, writing yeah, groups. But we're bringing psychological mindedness to the process. So hopefully when they finish these um, therapeutic story writing groups, when they go back into the classroom, you're hopefully, you're removing some of that fear about writing. Absolutely. That, um, that you're not looking at what they've written and reacting in shock horror. <laughs> and also that they can, they can have their ideas and that's all fine and it's accepted. And they hear what other, so it's about actually about the fear of writing. And then there's how they feel about themselves. Yeah, I don't know if it's sort of the shock horror is. I mean, there is it's important that we accept whatever they write. I know one little boy is saying, "Can I write a story, a sad story?" You know, his mother had died the year before, so, and that we can bear to read that. But I think it's more in the groups. We don't focus on the punctuation, spelling, and handwriting. The stories are typed up with correct um, spelling and punctuation by the the teacher teaching assistant, whoever is running the group. That's not because that isn't important, but, you know, we're talking about this one-hour session for 10 weeks. A lot of children have had years of that and they haven't taken it on board. And, of course, it is important, but what we're looking for here is much more right hemisphere, right brain approach to the flow of writing engaging with the flow engaging with the feelings and looking for the meaning using story writing to convey meaning and for the adult to reflect back through the active listening comments or questions about the character to show that we've really taken their story seriously it might only be one line you know it might even be six words but we can reflect on that and show the child that we've really heard their story and thought about it and commented on it. And also then when we type it up and the children see their, their work typed up, even if it's a, a few lines, it I, gives them a sense of well-being. I think presentations, the reason I said shock horror is, is my writing is pure atrocious. <laughs> and there was a, it says times where I've handed homework in and it's been thrown back at me. <laughs> going, you expect me to read that? Yeah. And okay. it, so my handwriting okay. was horrible. And then there was a time where I really, as you said, I got into my story writing and I was writing fast. Okay. Problem is when I write faster, my writing gets smaller yeah, yeah. so I can keep up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it was an insane amount I fitted on a page. My yeah. head was just going and I was going with it. And I handed it and I was really proud of it. Mm-hmm. But it was actually, it was, we were told it was draft. So I don't need to write it. It doesn't have to be neat. And she would, actually, I'm going to mark it. And I was like, you'll never read this. And she read some of it and just told me it was a complete waste of time okay. and the okay. topic yeah. and all this lot. So yeah. I always felt rubbish about my handwriting. So yeah. the presentation was, yeah. if you read it, yeah. I'm literally going, you're judging it on the how it looks. Mm. Um, and then when I really did get into a story of writing I enjoyed. Mm. 
the feedback I got from that teacher, it was at secondary school, was, yeah. was absolutely horrible. Yeah. So I was like, so, oh. I mean, that's, so that's why I said it, is sometimes that's what children feel. And it's interesting that has stayed with you, you know, all these years later. That, that, Not that I hold on to many things in this yeah, podcast. <laughs> People obviously hear so many things from my childhood that I've obviously held on to and it's in there somewhere. Yeah, but I think that is interesting, you know, that has stayed with you. But I would say in defence of, of the teacher that when they have a class of 30 children there and a child has got into writing reams, you know, it can be a challenge. So reams you wouldn't have been able to read. But she said, I don't <laughs> have to, is, this is just for you. And I was like, right, I can go for I mean, this. I mean, because some people say, well, wouldn't this approach be good for all children? But yes, but I mean, I've tried it myself with different numbers in the group and six in an hour is the maximum I can cope with to give verbal comment back on the stories, to hear all the stories, to really listen and, and for um, all the children to be engaged because the more the children, people the longer that's going to be exactly all the children be engaged and it's interesting in that group how the children get involved with each other's stories it is such fascinating work i mean i'm still i've been doing it for decades now and i'm still fascinated by it so i've, I've got a couple of nephews who have dysgraphia so they struggle with writing and or and have done and it's been a long battle with a number of schools to for my nephew to stop him using a pen and it took from year five all the way through to year 10 to just give him a laptop to use. Mm. And problem is, is his exam technique was horrible because he always wrote the bare minimum because he didn't want to write. So he, had, mm. so he had a lot of learning to do in year 10 and 11 mm. to be able to write the right amount mm. to answer the questions and mm. structure things. So he had a huge amount and he, he did amazingly well when you removed that barrier. And I think for my another nephew who he hates writing, because he struggles with writing and he would just see what he writes. He'll look mm. left, he'll look mm. right, see what the other children are doing and not want to write because he cannot mm. write like that. Mm. But if I, I like the idea that wherever you write gets typed up and this is, this is your story, your words mm. presented extremely neatly. So no one's going to judge you on your handwriting or mm. your spelling or your mm. punctuation. They're going to judge you on your content, mm. and what your ideas are. That, I love that. that because handwriting mm. is a very big barrier mm. in getting your ideas out. And schools' mm. fascination with handwriting baffles lots of people outside of schools because no one outside of schools writes as much as true people in schools. And no mm. one cares about it because we mm. don't do it. I think where is being able to remove that barrier from them and allow them to put on paper or put out or express that creative side. Mm. That's what you want from mm. the children is that ability to express themselves, mm. to write, to have imagination, to remove the barriers. And, and again, mm. just having how your writing looks and things like that mm. can be a big barrier for them. Mm. I think, you know, that goes back to, you know, Piaget in a way. They're at this concrete operational stage. You know, what you see is what you get. Children judge their writing by what it looks like, you know, just looks yeah. rubbish or whatever. And I think, yes, by taking that away, what we do, we also, the, the story opener is written out for them already. So some children might, in 10 minutes, only manage 12 words. Other children will do two pages. The way we respond to show what's important is what is happening with the character. I'm not putting it down. All of that grammar, punctuation, etc., is important. But sometimes we can forget about... You know, there's other aspects to the literacy curriculum, development of characters, you know, coherence in the story, 
these, you know, we can tick those boxes. We don't have to do the whole of the literacy curriculum every time we do a bit of work. So we're looking here at writing for meaning. Writing for meaning. When I think of my laptop is if I spell something correctly, it will get underlined if I miss out a thing. Mm. And now you've got as tools like I use Grammarly, which helps me with my grammar. So it does the Mm. vocabulary and the grammar. Oh, this is not professional. Try this word. And Word has a new thing called Editor built in, which is Mm. basically a free version of Grammarly, which will go through. You keep doing this. You should Mm. stop doing this because you're. You start a sentence with it's. What are you mm. referring to? So it helps me develop. Mm. So I think things like the vocabulary, the grammar and the spelling and the handwriting can mm. all be supported in many ways. The creative part, the expressive, the structuring. Yeah. That is a thought process you really need your children to have because that yeah. they will use throughout their life. Exactly. Because, I mean, what we have, and quite clear with this, we expect the children to write for... 10 minutes in silence, you know, no gimmicks or things. And if we can help a child to do that, that is an amazing skill to be transferred back into the classroom. But also going back to writing for meaning and expressing that and communicating with others. I think the group is really important. And research shows, you know, for for children, really what their peers think about their work is as important, if not more important, than what the adults think. So sharing their story and having the group respond to their story, to hear it, to make comments on it, is also very powerful and a stimulus to them to write more, that we, we have time to listen to their stories, comment, think about them. You know? do, do they say their stories or does the teacher read them out? They read their own stories, unless they don't want to, in which case they can ask the teacher or another okay. child. Because sometimes um, that is another thing, that initial sharing. Mm. But if someone else shares it for them, then they see the reactions. And the following week, they might be a bit yeah. happier to share. Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, we're sort of flexible. Small steps. Working towards the children, sharing their own stories. And I think, I think that idea is if in that therapeutic writing group, they can, didn't call it a session, um, they can realise... I can concentrate for 10 minutes. I can do this, maybe subconsciously. And then don't think about how was I able to do this? What is kind of what's different Mm. from them? And it's not always a conscious level with children. It might be something subconsciously where, okay, so I kind of, we did this at the beginning, which has helped me not worry. And I didn't worry and I did it. And they'll be able to, as you said, use that in the classroom. So we'll be able to do something for 10 minutes, hopefully in a different context. And in the final session, we actually take the stories they've written and their pictures and make a very nice finished book, which they usually take back and share with their class teacher and and take home. So it's something they really value having. And it's also quite nice for class teachers because I know I haven't been a class teacher myself for years, many years ago now. But, um, you know, children are always going out to this or going out to that and you're worried, well, what are they doing? Because it's your responsibility to make sure their learning's on track you actually have something to show the class teacher. And a comment we often get is that, oh, my goodness, they've written more than they yeah, cause sometimes uh, would normally, you know. If you're trying to write, you look focus on the handwriting and the yeah. grammar and the thing, yeah. you're, you're putting up lots of barriers for that child to actually then see what they're capable of without removing those barriers yeah. might help that teacher maybe adjust their approach. So yeah, I'm not I'm, saying you are capable. Okay, it's actually you write it, and then let's see where we get yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not putting down all the other, but it's things that can often um, follow structural later. Structural stuff that is important. Yeah, but so, I think the main thing is children to enjoy writing, to write. You know, like 
writers um, throughout the ages, they've written, you know, not to get a good mock <laughs> creative writers, but because they've got something they want to say. And I think for the children to experience that and experience other people wanting to hear what they've got to say, it's very powerful. I didn't go to university, so I missed out all those dissertations and the essays you had to write. So I've saved my fingers lots of hours of writing. But <laughs> I do spend a lot of time writing. I write our website. I write documentation. Okay. I write guides. I write yep. reports. So I've got to write this mm. stuff. And grammar. I'm not getting much better at with the help of Grammarly. But it's things like this document has to flow. And yeah. I kind of I, I do like a brain dump. Yeah. I, my fingers go crazy yeah. and I might write six, seven pages and then yeah. I read it. And as I read it, I go, I am all over the place. And I start looking and copying and pasting things around and I and I look at the structure and the flow mm. and mm. why have I put that there? Well, everything else I talked about that was mm. right at the beginning. Actually, should have been. And, I, and so it helps me. And I, that's where I think that, that flow of the structure of a story, that yeah. creativeness, the, the different words rather than saying this is a really good tool to support, it's like, how can I say that 20 different ways? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I use. And I've learned, this is down to my daughter doing her sets, about rearranging sentences. Okay, yeah. So I was 40 when I learned about rearranging oh, sentences wonderful. and different <laughs> things. I'm still not quite there. I'm still not confident on <laughs> nouns, verbs and adjectives. But if you read the B-squared website, most of that is me and most people read yeah. it and are quite happy with it. Yeah, yeah. So... Those other bits can come later. Yeah. But what you don't want to destroy is the wanting to write. Yeah. This That's is the, a bit you, yeah, your group yeah. sort of right. Is you, you're trying to keep that bit going and show that children that they are capable of writing. They can write things. They, they've got amazing ideas. Yeah. And the other bits we can work on. So this is not getting rid of them. Yeah, yeah. But to me, the other bits aren't the important part. It's where they do come important is that person trying to read it. Yeah. I mean, I think they're both important, but I think sometimes I mean, Philip Pullman writes about this, you know, about how we can get to left brain with the teaching, which is the spelling and the puncture. All of that is important. But the right hemisphere is about conveying meaning, engaging in the story. And I know from when I used to do assembly every week when I was a, a manager in a school, you'd have 400 pairs of eyes like all over the place and you start telling a story and suddenly they're with you. You enter another space, which is, I mean, it's easy to say magical and it's, you know, it reminds me of Winnicott talked about the reverie between the mother and the baby infant, the newborn infant, the eye gazing. And there's a meeting that happens there. And, and I think teachers, when they read the class book to the class at the end of the day, which they used to do, then didn't do, and I think are now allowed to do a bit more. I think teachers know the value of that meeting in story, that story reverie that happens. And some people, certain people, you listen to them tell a story, and they could tell you the news, but they'd read the news and then restructure it in their own way and tell you this most amazing story. Yeah, yeah. Just by thinking of the flow and what yeah. would engage you. Yeah. And there are just some people who you could just listen to for hours just because of the way they engage you. Yes. And it is all about, to me, that creative, the conveying meaning and getting knowing which is the important part to the, their audience. Yes. I mean, it's interesting. You know, people talk about these two ways of conveying meaning. One is like the right hemisphere, the story, the case study. You know, if you want to 
convince people that the NHS is falling apart. You give a, a story of your 80-year-old grandmother who's left on a try, da, 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 as opposed to the left hemisphere, the analytic reductionist, where it's a mori poll, you've controlled experiments, you know, 1,000 people, 62% feel that. They're, they're two different ways of conveying meaning, and I would suggest perhaps that we've maybe gone a little bit more on the left hemisphere and... But even with that right hemisphere, I could tell you a story. Oh, my 80-year-old um, nan was left on her bed outside the ward and um, it really wasn't good. Or I could say, just to change the language, I mean, my poor nan, just adding a few extra words in. Okay, yeah, yeah. She was left on her own. Yes. In, in the, <laughs> just by, you're saying yeah. the same words, but you're just adding a few extra yeah, in, yeah. changing the yeah, in, yeah. intonation, all those different things yeah. can just... Exactly, and that's what we do in the, in the groups. It's the way we... You can you know, hear so your story? Gingerbread, that, that is really, really and I can imagine sad. reading that. Yeah. Just um, getting, as you're getting to the end, I've really got to stop now. You could just get softer and softer and you could really add to that story yes. just by, and that's the thing, it's not just saying, you're not just saying, oh, this mm. happened. It's what is the feeling and conveying yeah. that, understanding it, Yeah, which I never got when I was at school. I yeah, never yeah. kind of understood stuff and I read it at face value. Yeah. Even at secondary school, I couldn't yeah, read it yeah. at face value. Yeah. I couldn't read between the lines yeah. very well. Yeah. Now I've got life experience and I can sit there, I can reflect <laughs> on things. I can read those books and go, ah, I know what you're going through now. But yeah. at that time I didn't have the experience. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it's so powerful. I mean, that the story I read earlier about Anya and the gingerbread, um, I noticed there was in the school, there was a supply teacher who came in regularly to do, you know, take the um, assessment time uh, with her class and, She'd made some comments about how she was um, difficult, the girl. And I'd heard those comments. And I just shared that story with her. I didn't give any interpretation or anything. She read that story and she just said, oh, my goodness, I didn't realise. Didn't have to do any interpretation of the story. Her attitude to the girl changed completely just from reading that story. Yes. Um, there are some things I was going to say. I won't say it. I'll, t- I'll tell it to you after the podcast. <laughs> okay. I don't want to say it on the podcast because it's not a great story. But yeah, it's things like, um, I think do I think supply teachers, they have a hard job. Undoubtedly. And I tell you what, you know. You've got to go into a class. I tell you, that, you know. 30 children. You've, got you've 30 never children, known. You're trying to take them to the hall for assembly and one won't get out of her chair. You know. You're or, generally not given enough information. It's not, you know, it's difficult. Pointing you know. down the corridor. It's the third door on the left. The class is waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's not easy, which is why I think, um, you know, resources, special needs resources need to provide an environment for these children, emotionally contained environment to support their thinking process, to give them skills that they can take back and I think into it is, the classroom. It's really understanding. If you, if you, complete diversion here was the topic, but if you do have supply teachers coming in and they're coming in is preparing the teacher, but sometimes as much as you can, you've got to prepare that child. Some of those children, with yeah, a strange yeah. person walks in. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, that's yeah, not a yeah. good. So there's yeah. a lot of work. Anyway, completely yeah, yeah. different topic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> well, it's the same. It's emotional containment, and yeah, exactly. So I think we kind of we've talked about this through. I'm because when we said I literally going, I didn't understand what therapeutic story writing is. I'm going, how can you have a group story writing? You're sitting in silence, and, and it's I not. It's only silent for ten minutes out of the hour. But it is. It, it's, <laughs> a, it's a much bigger process. The story writing is a small part of it. But it's all the other bits which go with it, the reflective part, the mindfulness, 
all that is the, is a big part yeah, of yeah, it. It's yeah. the story writing is a little part of it, but the story writing can give you a lot of information as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, big thank you for, for coming on the show today, Trisha. Mm, thank you for inviting me along, Dale. You're welcome. Um, Trisha's given me some links to share, so I'll be adding these to the show notes, and I'll also be tr- um, sharing Trisha's contact details, and you'll find the show notes where you found the podcast or on our website, which is www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. If you don't know where to subscribe, please go to our website and you'll find links to all the different podcast platforms, or you can just listen to it through the website. And please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, we are The Sendcast. And on Instagram, The Sendcast. If you listen to us through iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and let others know what you think. Before we go, I would just like to remind you to check out the Training for Education website. You'll find a number of guests on the Sendcast, our speakers at our virtual Send conferences, as uh, Trisha has been before, or they've recorded their own training courses. And Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And as an exclusive gift to Sendcast listeners, you can get 10% discount on the virtual Send conferences, future or past, just by using the code Sendcast10. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Thank you.